Good day and welcome to Screensaver, a friends from work film and TV podcast. I wanted to start today by giving Robbie Earl a quick shout out on composing the Screensaver theme. That's right. We haven't even <laughs> talked about it yet. The theme song that you hear at the beginning of these episodes was composed by Robbie Earl in full. And so congratulations. I feel like it fits the vibe perfectly. <laughs> I love it. We've received some nice feedback on it. So thank you for doing that, Robbie. Congrats. Wow. Thank you. I uh, I feel like there's a different level of honor associated with talking about a composition in the context of a conversation where we'll be talking about John Williams' composition. I'm going to like, I'm I'm going to warm myself in the, in the ray of sunlight that is the John Williams praise that I'm sure we're both about to throw out. And, uh, you know, that's not deserved, but I'll take it. Well, this is right up there with that. If you go back and listen to our screensaver plus episode, I started off with singing John Williams theme. I should have started today off with Little computer sound. Do, do, do. I do um, like the do to do. Well, no, thank you. This is a, it was a big, big shoes to fill because the friends from work theme, I mean, straight from the mind of Kyle Sconewell and slowly building over the years into just something larger than life. So either our themes are becoming a competition between the two of us, or if we start a third spinoff podcast, we need to do a joint composition and see what comes from that <laughs> that's true that's true or or we'll just bring raised we can bring john in for that one that you, you know what let's just call up our friend john williams i already have my friend john Pizzino. i'll call him up but you know he may pass on it he's a little busy and so maybe we'll just get john williams um indiana jones in the dial of destiny today robbie's most anticipated film of 2023, at least that's what he said, or very close to the top of it. Mm -hmm. We're in the midst of a very busy season on Screensaver and on Friends From Work, both podcasts you should be subscribed to, listening to, and sharing with your friends. But I feel like my expectations for Dial of Destiny were set very appropriately, Robbie, by going back and watching the original movies. I think that yeah. that actually really mattered for me having just recently seen those because I hadn't seen them for years and it did help frame this movie for me. So I'm curious, we haven't talked at all. How was your screener experience? I believe you went with your wife, Candace, and mm -hmm. what are just your overall thoughts to get us started on Indiana Jones dial of destiny? Yeah. You know, this is one that I've been, I've been really excited about for, Various reasons it, it, when it comes to the the details of this movie, you know, I've talked about liking James Mangold as a as a director, and uh, John Williams. Anytime we get John Williams doing something, especially like this, uh, I mean, I think the highlight of the the Star Wars sequel trilogy uh, was John Williams' work there, mm. and so all you know, all of that built some excitement. But then, yeah, you know, at its core, I think it's just this is a this is a franchise that I have such fond feelings for. I mean, it's, it's so unique and you know, these things, there's this like mega IP approach where they're either being adapted from underlying books or like they've grown into some kind of massive thing that it, I'm not saying that's that's good or bad. It's just kind of different when you then look at something like Indiana Jones that has such a cultural footprint, but is still a pretty focused series. You know, it's not like we have a, a ton of spinoff stuff or like we have an HBO series now being made that's going to cover the adventures of Short Round. Like, I I think it's just this, the idea... Although I'd we watch get, it. <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely, I would. But it, my point being, every installment here feels so significant to me. We talk about saturation, and there are so many. Like I think if there's if there's one thing that has been difficult over the last you know five ten years when we're talking about 
covering film and, and TV, it's that there's just so much of everything on kind of every level. Like there's so much content in general, but then there's also so much of each type of of content. Uh, and and you know we've talked about that in the Marvel context when we've talked about the the MCU on on Friends from Work. And so I think I just really love how significant it it feels to get an Indiana Jones movie. And that was kind of the mindset I was in going into this, and it's why I was so excited. And, hmm. yeah, I mean, I had a blast because it's Harrison Ford doing Indiana Jones, and that seems to be a character that he just has a ton of fun with. The movie has a lot of heart, which... I love, I feel like that's also something that these movies need. Now it's, you know, there's some cheesiness, there's some campiness here and there. And, and that again, I can't really, I can't really take a lot of issue with because that's largely been around since the beginning. There are some things that I, that I kind of chuckled at and, you know, having Candace with me was a big, it, it was, it was really helpful on that front because she is not someone that, that has the nostalgia associated with this the way that I do. And so it was nice to be able to bounce some things off of her as we were leaving. And there were moments that, <laughs> that just the callbacks that did not work at all. Uh, and were funny to me, like the the scene at the end with Marion and and Indy with like the elbow kissing, like Candace had no idea what that was a reference to, and so yeah, I was right. able to kind of see that through her eyes and how like random and weird of a scene that was if you didn't know what the callback was. Mm. So there were there were you know a couple things like that where there were some deep cut things that I thought were rewards for fans of the franchise. But in terms of the experience at the, at the screener, and then I'm curious to kind of hear what, what your experience was like, it reminded me a lot of the Guardians of the Galaxy screener, hmm. which is so funny because they're, they're very different movies, but it was like the, the audience was just in such a great mood. I felt like every joke landed for the room Everybody was just, there was a lot of goodwill for that movie, which I appreciated because it has not gotten stellar reviews. Now they've climbed a good bit, which is really unique for a film like this because they started off, you know, in like the 50s on Rotten Tomatoes and last I checked were almost 70. But, you know, it, it, it's nice to see that I think a lot of folks came in just wanting to have a lot of fun taking a final spin through Indiana Jones world. So I have so many things here. First of all, over on friends from work plus, which is a bonus content feed. If you like friends from work, uh, you can get it for $5, $15 or $25 a month. I think we are very much due for a overall cultural saturation ratings critical reviews discussion that you and I have to get into. And that's been brewing for a while. I think there's some interesting things to track for the last couple of years. Specifically, I think COVID created some interesting things to talk about. And then the post COVID era has been fascinating as well. I will save some of my thoughts on that, but we, we need to get into it again because like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I think this movie has 60 or 66% critic, but 90% audience. I think Ant-Man had like 50% critic and 90% audience. Huh. And there is a growing disconnect there. And we're going to get into that on a bonus episode. That being said, I think the key word for Dial of Destiny is expectations, expectations, expectations. Yes. I went to it with three friends this time. For whatever reason, I was allowed to bring three friends, and it was so much fun. So a group of four of us going to the theater, all dads, guys that don't get a chance to do that very often, um, uh -huh. in an IMAX theater in Franklin, Tennessee, like pretty full, people dressed up as Indiana Jones. Did you have any oh, of those? Oh, no way. Like, uh, yeah, hats, whips, the jackets. Uh, I got popcorn, Diet Coke, like 
It was a great time. I mean, that's what movies are supposed to be for, right? Mm-hmm. And I had so much fun discussing this film with my friends on the 25-minute drive back to our house afterwards in the car. So even just riding together and talking about that was really fun. It, it reminded yeah. me of the beginnings of this podcast because that's that's what we wanted to capture, right? Those conversations that you have on the way out of the theater. Yeah. So on the way out of the theater, we're always asked to give our comments and thoughts to the people who show the screening for the studio's sake. And so I was second in line. And I'm just so fascinated at this cultural moment that the guy in front of me was absolutely crapping on the movie. Just crapping on it. The guy behind me, I heard his friends talking to him. They're like, did you like it? And he was like, oh, no. Oh, no <sighs> way. So that's what his thoughts were going to be. I got up there, and my thoughts were, I think if you like Indiana Jones, and if you've recently watched the originals, you're going to like this movie. If you're passionate about Indiana Jones, this very much captures that vibe and that nostalgia and that feel. I think that this kind of movie, like Ant-Man, is really hard to make in today's day and age, Robbie. Like, I don't think that the people that are crapping on it have recently watched the originals. I really don't. The originals have a lot of the campiness and cheesiness and plot holes. They do. Mm -hmm. But if you make that exact same feeling movie, then people crap on it because we've changed so much as a culture that it's not okay to make that kind of movie anymore. It's not dark. It's not pushing the boundaries. It's not doing something different. So then they don't like it, even though it's in the exact same vibe, in my opinion, of the originals. I get worked up about this. Sorry. But if you make something so different, then people will crap on it and say, well, it doesn't feel like Indiana Jones. Like, this is not what they, you know, what it's like. And I just, I just challenged the people, the guy in front of me leaving the review, did you watch the originals recently? Because if you did, I feel like this is right where it should have been. So for me, I am not a lifelong diehard Indiana Jones fan, but I had fun. So everything doesn't have to be black or white. It doesn't have to be the best thing ever, the worst thing ever. I think 66% for me is very accurate. That's what I told her. My specific review to sum up the whole thing in the two sentences was, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but I think if you like the nostalgia, fun, campiness, et cetera, then you're going to like this movie. I still had fun. So to me, it's like a 65%. It's not the best movie of the summer. It's not the worst movie this summer, and I had a fun time at the theater, and our culture has a hard time leaving at that. I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to get into some of the specifics here. Yeah, sorry, that was a lot. Wow, that was a tangent, a rant. No, 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 no. I think that 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 was helpful framing because we've kind of covered now big picture, you know, the the what here, the why, and then we've, we've looked at, on a high level, the, the, how our experience was with this one. Um, like my experience with several of the films in this franchise, it, it varies from scene to scene, how much I'm, how much I'm buying it, how much I'm into it. But I think that it's important for us to kind of set here at the beginning, the, the tone, at least for me, which was just, I'm, you know, I'm glad this movie was made. I had fun watching it. It's nice to see. I like that there is a movie that is trying to be as as earnest as this one is. Yeah, that's partially yeah, what I was talking about. Yeah, especially you know for an Indiana Jones movie, I, I think that that was and and to the extent this is the final one, which it seems that is going to be the case. You know, it feels like an appropriate tone to. To end on. Well, I love that you said that about Candace then too, because I feel like even from just critiquing the how of this film, it's one of two lenses for you. You can view it through the nostalgic, like if that's the expectations of I'm going to an Indiana Jones movie, that's almost different than just breaking down the nitty gritty of what I think they could have done a little bit better or worse in the actual film. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. like basically my brother in the car on the way home said, like, my dad is going to love this movie. And I think if you go in knowing you're going to see an Indiana Jones movie and what that means, you should like this movie. That was really fun and well done. 
I think if you've never seen an Indiana Jones movie, there would be things where you're like, wow, that's cheesy. Wow, that doesn't make sense. That's a plot hole. What in the world with the elbow kissing? Wow, a little too much action at the beginning. So it's like, it's almost like we can go two routes with this, you know? I personally don't have as much nostalgia as you or a lot of people, I think, that watch this film. So I do have some critiques when I remove the nostalgia goggles, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I, you know, I think that a lot of my critiques here actually come down to the, again, I, I appreciate the attempt to keep the same tone from prior installments. I think that there were spots where I just did, I don't know that that was effectively updated to, sure. to 2023. And, and those are the, the some of the the big things that stick out in my mind, and I would like to kind of cover some of the issues I have, you know, so we can, and then we can maybe end, uh, we could do a little sandwich here of starting with our good vibes and then maybe addressing some of the, the issues and then ending by addressing some of the specifics that we, that we enjoyed. Okay. Okay. A compliment sandwich to the film. Yeah, there you go. So I, I want to start kind of at the at the beginning, not because I think we need to go through this chronologically, but because this is the thing that really sticks out for me. You know, a lot was made after the trailer started coming out of how advanced the the age regression technology oh, yeah. has gotten hmm. and, you know, how much they were able to bring out, you know, old school Harrison Ford. And for me, I had felt that way based on the trailer because, you know, you get this one shot of of the bag over his head being pulled off and there's young Harrison Ford and it's so striking. I think where that started to break down for me was once we got time with him in that mode, actually moving around and talking, hmm. it didn't, it just didn't quite sell for me. Like something about it, seemed off and and it felt that way to candace too i think it's both things i wrote down that wow the de-aging tech is actually pretty freaking good like we're 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 coming a long ways with this stuff especially considering they're de-aging him like 35 years not like 10 years um it's it's getting good and it is impressive that being said we're not there Yeah, we're definitely not there. It's still a little bit off. The more we lingered with it, the more it became obvious, for sure. And it becomes harder to emotionally connect with it. Also, by the way, his like extremely gruff voice now that he's 80 doesn't translate as well. So like the actual dialogue, his voice sounds different. That doesn't help, Mm -hmm. you know? And the way he even emotes with his face is harder to capture because he's so old and like stoic now. (laughs) Yeah. Versus then, so no, I mean, yeah, he he sound and and that's where I actually think us having watched all the other films so recently sort of hurts because I've got sure. this image in my mind of what Harrison Ford looked like at this stage, but more importantly, how he played the character, you know, thirty five years ago, and it's just different because yeah, he's yeah he's. Age, he's a different guy, you know, like (laughs) it's, and I, I remember feeling, this is my, you know, this is my issue when this is done too heavily. And and I thought even in uh, Avengers Endgame, we got a short clip of that with Michael Douglas. And that's such a short scene. It, It doesn't have nearly the kind of impact, but I've always felt the same. It's like you, you see a much younger looking Michael Douglas that sounds like a very old Michael Douglas and the expressions don't perfectly map on. Now, again, I think that's the situation where it feels much more appropriate because we literally, I I think, see that character on screen for like less than 20 seconds. Here, I think that had it been They did a whole 20-minute sequence. Yeah, or or like you know, if they had if they had focused it somewhere else where we weren't rooted, but it, you know, it felt like they were doing the kind of 
opening Indiana Jones sequence that we've come to know, like in Raiders or, or Temple of Doom, where it's just like you you see him getting out of some kind of fix, which was fun, but I just don't if if they were going to do that, I don't I just don't feel like they can rely that heavily on that age regression because the tech stuff aside, it just, it felt like by the end of it, I I was, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't connected with the character. It didn't feel like I was, I was able to lock into an actor's performance. It felt Mm -hmm. like I was watching a CGI character on some level, which is just like, especially And another thing that's, yeah, I think is worth pointing out. Yes. These movies are, are very effects driven, but in a very different way than Marvel movies or star Wars movies where this tech has been used before, where I think the, the general vibe and kind of sheen of those movies hides this a little bit better, but for a series that, you know, was originally very rooted in practical effects, I think it's, it sticks out a little bit more also. Yeah. My overarching critique in this compliment sandwich would be that I really appreciated the effort to have an emotional connection to Indiana Jones. And some of those moments worked for me. I really liked him on the boat talking about what happened with his son and at least like addressing why Shia LaBeouf's not in this film, et cetera. Uh-huh. However, I feel like we just didn't get enough build up to that. Like the first hour of this movie and a couple of my friends commented on this too, are so relentless with action. I'd be curious to know how much actual dialogue happens in the first hour. And I like action sequences hmm. and I love that they're trying to set the same tone, but I feel like, we're like an hour into the movie and we've only watched a lot of crazy action interrupt the tiny bits of dialogue we have. And it's, they're chasing this dial and that's it. That's all we know. And it's so fast that I wish if we were going to build up to a, a hurt Indiana Jones emotionally, that there was more build up with that. Like let's, let's subtract one of the action sequences or cut five minutes off it to get a little bit of history that he is struggling. Like show me that, that moment at school where, you know, maybe school's not fulfilling him the same way it used to teaching, like show me that he's more like struggling with that then. And the kids have checked out and times have changed and it's passed him by and he misses Marion. They gave us one shot of the divorce papers, no references Uh to Shia LaBeouf and one kind of classroom scene where he's like, okay, we'll just wrap it for today. But if we're going to hit home that like at the very end of the movie, he doesn't even want to be alive anymore like he wants to literally just die in history, uh-huh. then I need a little more buildup that he's struggling that much internally. Like him saying at the very end, like, what is there to live for? For who? Why am I here? Kind of hit me out of nowhere because we spent so much yeah. of the first hour and a half racing action. Yeah. So I that was my biggest tweak. Like I love the attempt at the emotional moments, but I don't think they were executed right. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it's, it's funny. I know that James Mangold has done a lot of other things that are not Logan. I think there have been a lot of Logan conversations just because we're dealing with a, you know, a big blockbuster like this, but I do think that there's some, there are some similarities in where we find the character and the, the way that it's trying to reflect on a reflect on a a, a franchise and give this kind of gruff, reluctant hero energy. Like a lost era almost kind of. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't, I definitely don't hate it. I, I like the idea, especially if we're dealing with an older Indiana Jones, I think that you almost have to do that. I do always get a little, it's one of the reasons why I think sequels like this that come so far after the original, you can be pretty limited in, in your choices because like, I think back to the, like the diehard films, 
you know, like I think it was sort of similar in that you had one, two, three fairly close and then a fourth way after and then several more after that that I didn't see. But I remember across those films, there was always this, okay, he's with Holly and there's the happy ending. Okay, but now he's not with Holly because we have to create some new tension. And then now he's like back with Holly and all this action that takes place off camera to create tension. Hmm. And there's a part of me where I'm like, okay, in in the fourth film and in Crystal Skull, it all kind of culminates with him finally reconciling and getting married to Marion and finding out he has a son. And I get that you need to now create a new situation and that it's hard to have a the the kind of gruff, grumpy old Indiana Jones if he is happily married with a kid. But it I think just the fact that that came in literally the final scene of the last movie and then we open right. and it's all focused on him having lost everything. Right. It's Including just like that's, his friendship. Yeah, no, exactly. And and that yeah, it feels like we we've just again off camera <laughs> not regressed, but there's just been so much that's happened. And then right. I think the like the other thing here I like the, you know, we do get a couple of good callback moments with prior characters. And so, and I don't think that we had to be super, super cameo heavy or something, but there are moments where I found myself thinking, okay, they're like the, the friendships, like Helena's father, you know, Basil Shaw, like I was thinking, is there not a character from that was actually in ah. the the franchise that that we could have rooted that in? You know what I mean? Yeah, we had that thought too because my friends who hadn't seen the originals recently were like, "Do we know him? Do we know her?" And I was like, "No, actually, he's not in any of it." But we're trying to now write with the flashback scenes that he was there for a lot of it. You know, could we yeah. not have found someone who actually was there <laughs> and had that be the the adventure? And, and again, I don't, you know, I want it to feel fresh and I don't want it to be just super navel gazy. And I, I, I'm reminded of James Mangold's comments that he was not wanting to do constant fan service here. But I just think what's interesting about that is he still tried to root it in Indiana Jones' personal history, but it's just a history that we've never seen. So I'm like, I feel like if you don't want to do the fan service thing, then don't don't try to create all these moments of indie with old friends or having past connections like let's do something different that's that's more intentionally forward looking if you don't want to be you know super focused on the on the past of the of the franchise and so it's like there's the Basil Shaw there's uh the Antonio Banderas character that again, I like them both. Toby Jones, Antonio Banderas are both great additions to this world. But it's ah. just, again, I'm like, I I feel like they're because both characters were set up as really, really close friends of Indy, but only in this movie do we ever hear right. about that. Same thing with Antonio Banderas's character. People ask me, is he from the old movies? I'm like. Nope. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to believe he is, but he's not. Uh, I will say on a positive thing real quick, I thought overall the performances of everybody were pretty good from all those characters. I thought. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, uh, and I thought I, Harrison Ford turned in a pretty good performance, actually, especially given yep. his age. Yeah, um, for sure. Backpedaling real quick to something we said like two paragraphs ago, <laughs> a little bit off that. I do in general like the plot device, the storytelling device of, oh man, culture and my job has passed me by. I'm so old. Do I fit? I got to prove that I fit. I like stories that do that well. Like I really like Skyfall with that. I uh -huh. like the vibe they take in some of these most recent Mission Impossible films. Uh, heck, it even makes me think about Red Dead Redemption 2, the video game, right? The very first shot of the video game is the age of the old West is like going by and these 
these cowboys don't feel like they fit anymore. So mm-hmm. I think there are ways to tell stories about how that has passed you by very well. I just don't think they did it. I don't think they did it perfectly here. You know, I, I missed, even with the callbacks, like you're saying, to his friendships, I missed the emotional core of those decisions. So it's kind of what you're saying, but a little slightly different. Uh, yeah. Just like they could have leaned into that better, I guess. And then I would say for me, Robbie, and I don't know your list, my last critique, and then I actually have a bunch of positives I want to share. But but my last critique, you know, for all of the Indiana Jones movies, there's always a little bit of belief that needs to be suspended. And, you know, the crystal skull, the aliens taking off from a ship and them actually having telekinesis, obviously opening the ark and having it melt your face, stuff like that. Like there are things that you can't verify for sure. Mm-hmm. But I thought within that world you're building, you can make me buy in or not. To the to the degree I buy in is how well you set out those rules and then follow them. We talk about that with Star Wars a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like in movies like The Last Crusade, they set the rules really clearly and very effectively. Like if you drink this, You will be healed and you'll live a long time, but you can't take the goblet out. If you take it out, it doesn't work. And there's all these stipulations with it. And then when they do it, you see that that's true. And so like you can kind Uh of buy in that that it's real, right? Like this, that's why this guy is still sitting there because he can't leave and he doesn't die. Uh, So I get all that. There are little things at the end of this movie though that bother me. Like why in the world is that Nazi guy, we were laughing so hard that he's like shooting his pistol outside of the plane at the Roman troops. Like, why is he so set on killing all of the Romans all of a sudden? Like, it's not anything he's tied to. Like, he's going down, machine gunning people down. Then also, like, within the confines you set, like, all the spears that are taking down the plane, I find that a little bit hard to believe that they're nailing the plane with all these different spears. And that the Nazi guys are so set on killing all these Romans. And then the plot concern of even just the loophole of time, right? Like anytime we talk about time, I don't have to get into this again. But the whole dial thing that he made the dial to bring someone there to help them win that battle. Like, you know, the loop. I might even get into it. Right, (laughs) right. The paradox. Right. Right. So there are just things I'm like, huh, at the very end of the movie, which – Normally I wouldn't care, but because I feel like you're breaking the rules a little bit that you set, I don't buy in as fully. So that's uh-huh. my last like kind of overarching critique. I guess the lack of buy-in from me is the overarching critique. And so a lot of the film, I sat there, I guess summing this all up. I sat there going, this is fun. I'm having fun. I'm excited to be in the theater. There are some things I really enjoy. But I'm just not that connected to this film. Like, overall, it has the danger of just becoming kind of forgettable. I, yeah, I think that that's, I think that that's well said. I, you know, on that front, I guess kind of three final things briefly. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'll have to sit with it. On paper, it makes a lot of sense. That this is where you would ultimately go with this franchise. And, and I like that we end with Indiana Jones getting to literally see history, like that feels like a very fitting place to leave the character who's for sure been a part of all these crazy supernatural events. You know, I, I have other issues with with the Crystal Skull film. One issue I never I never really understood was just the pushback about the alien thing in general. <laughs> like right, that, right. That felt like a natural next step to me for, you sure. know, like if you look at the other ridiculous stuff that that's happened in these movies and, right. and we've mined, we can only mine Christian history so many times. But we also mined like voodoo. Like why is the alien thing so far-fetched? I mean, Temple of Doom is talking about a voodoo doll. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it. this, this was where to me it just didn't, I couldn't quite get there, like the the way that it was actually, like time travel. You mean, like yeah, n- not the, like conceptually, but just the way it was executed. It just didn't feel like to your point. I didn't buy. I didn't buy that for some reason. Like the the entire sequence where they're actually in Italy and and you know BC, it just didn't 
it didn't feel like the end of an Indiana Jones movie the way I wanted it to. And I'm trying to put my finger on that because, again, it's not that I have an issue with that approach plot wise, but I it just maybe it's because I'm so used to those moments being Indiana Jones in the present discovering something that's that's come out of the past. And now this is him going into the past. And, you know, I'm sure that's the point that it's the way of kind of coming full circle. But it just felt like we we had gone into a different kind of movie at that point. And I think that kind of leads into my other, you know, my second of my final three critique comments <laughs> here, which is like, I just didn't love the effects in this film. I, I'm That's not fair. even necessarily saying they were bad, but I think that what I need in a, I think that what makes these films stand out for me is the, the scrappiness that you kind of get from the practical effects. And so yeah, you're, the, you're never the effects and visual guy, but you've already brought it up three times now. Wow. I know. Well, and, and I, again, I think context just matters a lot for me there. Like when we're talking about a superhero film, I think I give a lot more leeway, but right. with a movie like this that I know is still, you know, action adventure driven, I, I need like to feel the stakes of it and to really connect with this character. I need to, I need to be able to view it semi-realistically in certain moments at least. And I right. know that's crazy to say in a franchise that has no, you know, thousand year old crusaders and stuff, but even that, no, I mean, I mean the, I mean the tank sequence in last crusade, you feel, I mean, like when Indiana yes. Jones is hanging on the top and, and the rock is coming to, crush him you're like oh gosh no move yeah there you don't have that here because it's not real i mean they shot it like that in the originals you know yeah yeah no and, and we talked about that in our screensaver plus episode how it's like right. you, you still when you watch those movies back the first three you have this feeling of like oh my gosh how is he gonna get out of this you know even having seen it countless times and i just like i think about like the eel scene and oh yeah wow it just kind of turned into like a CGI soup for me. Like I had no, I couldn't even really make out what was going on enough to feel the tension of that. Cause it's like, it's dark and the, the electric eels. And I get why again on paper, the visual is cool, but it just wound up looking like, you know, I was, I was viewing a lot of kind of okay animation on screen. And then I was just, I found myself actually waiting for him to just come out of the water so we could kind of move on and I could just get more shots of Harrison Ford actually acting. <laughs> and that's just not something I felt before. I just got to say right there while you brought that up, we chuckled really hard at the entire concept of that scene. It was, did you not find it funny that they're like, oh, it's so far down at the ocean floor we can't go down there. Like, how are we going to survive? We can only be down in three minutes. And then they jump out of the boat and like, I don't know how they okayed this, but they jump out of the boat and the first level of the shipwreck is like, you know, right there. Like, it's like I was <laughs> swimming. It's like 30 feet below. Like I could go with no suit. And then they're like, wow, no one thought to look down below because the other half of the ship fell all the way to the ocean floor. And it's like, they look over <laughs> the edge and I can see the ship. It's like anyone exploring the first ship would have been like, hey, look, there's the other half of the ship just right down there. And like, they don't go that deep down there to get it. So to act like that was so hidden blew our minds. Like how does somebody That's okay really that good, kind no, of I thought, thing? I thought that too. I had some questions around the process for them finding the different components of the dial. Like sometimes right. I, I was not, it yeah. wasn't really clear to me. I think because of things like that, like w what obstacle we had just overcome. Like whenever there would be a realization, sure, I wasn't really sure. Like, I don't feel like the, the challenge or the puzzle was set yep. out clearly enough for me to then understand what the solution meant. A thousand percent agree. It's kind of like the convergence, you know, it, only those who can see it find it very <laughs> beautiful. The very few. I'm like, man, the ship is right there. I mean, I can see it from the boat. Like, just go down there and grab it. But listen, we actually, okay, to bring this all back, my friends and I in the car actually discussed this a lot because we're joking about it and I get it. It's funny. But 
someone pointed out like that had to intentionally be in there. I mean, people are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to go over this stuff. Somebody made the call that it's not as deep as it needed to be. And why, why would someone make that call? And the only thing I can think of is it's a mistake, which I just don't think that's the case because people care so much about what they're working on. This cannot be a mistake. Somebody had to bring it up. And the only other thing I can think of is that I think they're trying to capture some of the camp of the originals. Like, I think it's an effort to capture the same cheesy vibe. Even the Nazi Mm. gunning the Romans down with his machine gun out the plane. I think they're trying to capture that vibe. Now, I don't think it worked, but that's my only explanation for things like that. Like, why did they not make the ocean deeper? Yeah. But anyways, I want to hear your third point, and then I have so many compliments actually to give, believe it or not. Okay, no, same. Uh, my my final critique here is not not specifically a performance critique, but I do think you probably know what I'm going to say. I just wish that we didn't have the kid sidekick, man. Ooh, it's like Spider. He's Spider of this movie. He, <laughs> He's sp- <laughs> I like, all the performances were good. He's definitely the toughest one. And you know we hate child actors on Friends from Work, so and it's, it's just, what it like is. I but, <laughs> but and, and that's the like I found myself thinking like man, you know, cuz I'm thinking to to Temple of Doom where that's really the only other time we've had that as a primary part of this movie and that is I think the best part of that movie to me. It's cheesy there though too, but it's it's like endearing. I think the difference is the kids younger and cuter, you know, like yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, Temple yeah, of yeah, Doom, yeah. like we're dealing with a younger character. And so right. you have the cute factor and right. in play that is not here when you're dealing with like like a, a preteen. My brother was like, what a super kid. He knows how to fly a plane. He beats that bad guy by chaining him out. I mean, this kid's unbelievable. Yeah. Man, I just that. And, and I'm, you know, it always, it, it, it inevitably happens in series where I guess somebody is is crunching the numbers and thinking that, you know, maybe kids like seeing other kids on screen or something. But this is just a plot <laughs> element of movies that I never like. Like, I do not like the, and here's this kid that's going to wow you because he's only 12, but it turns out he's the smartest one of all. Like, I'm just, I do not like it. I don't ever want it again. And whenever I saw that that's where we were going here, like, there was a moment where, okay, I, I see him in the context of, of Helena whenever Indy's going to get the part of the dial back. And I, at that point, thought it was just going to be, oh, this is, you know, this kid that she's working with here, and then they were going to leave. And there's a point, like, 20 minutes later where I realized, oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> what have we done? He's going to be here. And, like, become He's an emotional of core now. of this. <laughs> He also can drive that car. He can fly a plane. He lands the plane on a rocky Sicily coast, by the way. Impressive. (laughs) And then we don't even see it, but he somehow then retakes off and goes through the fissure again. Uh, Yeah, he's unbelievable, and I totally get it. Sometimes, Robbie, when I hear your critiques of this stuff, as a guy who believes the Marvel Cinematic Universe has just handled lots of different aspects of making a film better than a lot of different franchises, Mm -hmm. it sometimes actually makes me happy to hear you say that because, like, I think it's hard to make a story with a kid that works really well. And so then I look at some of the times, like, Cassie, when I think it is done really well in Ant-Man. Yeah. and, And then, like, I'm like, it feels like Marvel is the only company that gets the critiques, you know, <laughs> they get crushed. Cause right. I guess they're, you know, they're on top, right? So they're on top. So you're going to always try to take the people down on top. But my point is like, then you talk about the visual effects. I'm like, yeah, other movies have visual effects questions as well. It's not exclusive to Marvel when there's a visual yeah. concern, you know, like, and going through a lot of these other things <laughs> makes that apparent. And so in, in a weird way, I'm not trying to twist it back to that, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, see, like other people have, like, it's hard to, it's hard to de-age someone 40 years and have it look realistic. It's, it's hard to have a child actor be the emotional core and have it not be cheesy. Yeah, no, I think that's, a, that that's a really good point. And I, I found myself thinking about that to some degree 
uh, in various ways throughout this movie, just because not even just with Marvel, but you know, this is like we talked about in some ways Raiders was really the, the blueprint for the modern blockbuster that kind of along with, with the star Wars franchise that was developing at the same time. And so, yeah, seeing that now brought into an era where there's so much toxicity around movies that are, are modern blockbusters, I thought it was really interesting to then look at how this fits into that context. And yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think ultimately it's, you know, if you come to it with some level of goodwill, then you're going to have a lot of fun. But if you yep. are willing to, to kind of dive in and pick some things apart, which is always kind of the question. Yeah, there are going to be things to pick apart. 100%. And like I said, we're going to get into that uh, in more detail in another episode. I really want to talk about that cultural moment. Believe it or not, I actually did have a lot of fun. We are now yeah. 45 to 50 minutes in this episode. We need to wrap this in like 10 minutes. So I'm just going to give you rapid fire and you give me rapid fire some things that you just really enjoyed. And so real quick, I just really enjoy that blending of real history versus what's make-believe versus what's fantastical, I still mm -hmm. feel like they did that well here. Like, for example, the Archimedes dial, that exact thing actually was discovered. It's a real thing. Does it predict time fissures? Absolutely not. But I like <laughs> taking a real historical piece. Mm -hmm. Again, remember I talked about how, like, I like that they leave me with questions. I had to start looking up, did Archimedes really come up with a sundial that could start ships on fire? Like, I know it sounds dumb, but anytime you blend all of the historical elements, I really enjoy that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's one of my favorite things about all of these movies. Uh, my my big pro, I can kind of knock out in, in one fell swoop here because you talked about the performances. The performances that all worked really well for me and were a ton of fun, Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Mads Mikkelsen, that's yep. the... That's the core of the movie, you know, from a, a, an acting standpoint. And I thought they all knocked it out of the park. I thought Phoebe in particular was great. And mm -hmm. I was surprised at Harrison Ford's performance in a good way. Yeah, you're. I, I think if I had to highlight one as, as the standout, it would be Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Especially, like one of my favorite things this movie did was the the fake of who we thought the character was going to be and who she ultimately turned out to be because hmm. I thought like initially the really the really sincere oh I just want to follow in my father's footsteps I'm a huge fan I thought would be fun but kind of wear thin and get a little bit it was predictable in a different way. And then I really liked the I liked the twist, but more than the twist, I liked the character that she became like she was funny. She was witty. She was callous in ways that felt by the end much more like an old Indiana Jones than it would have if she had been this like, mm -hmm. again, really earnest, adoring fan of her father and his friend. Right. Two-parter off that. I actually really loved the surprise twist at the very ending with her. I was pretty sure that they're going to kill Indiana Jones and he's going to die in history. And then, and then they, they kept arguing about it. I'm like, Oh gosh, he's actually going to do it. And then when she punched him, I thought that was a pretty funny yeah. appropriate and like good way to get out of that situation. Like that caught me off guard. And I liked that. I was, I couldn't predict that. So I appreciate that twist ending. My second part to that is I just, I said this a little bit earlier. I'm a sucker for that specific area and that time of history. I love it. Ever since Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I cannot get enough of ancient Greece, ancient Italy, the people that were there, the Greek culture, some of the things that our culture still emulate from that Greek culture. I'm just a mm -hmm. huge sucker for that time period. So the fact that it was based around that area and like the dial and that cove and that cave, love that. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I, again, I, I think that the way it was executed felt a little too, like, it. something about it felt like I was watching a, like a kid's movie or something in, in that last 
sequence, something about the way that the I don't know if it was the costumes or or the execution. Oh, I get. But, it. Oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah. I'm just saying I'm a sucker for that. But yeah, it was not. It was not great for sure. It was. But the I do agree. That, yeah. In principle, yeah, I, I thought that that was a really fun and and the reveal. I thought was really fun. The right. The where did they go? You know, when thinking at first, like I was trying to figure out, is this okay? It seems like it's not going to be what the Nazis think it's going to be because anytime right. they're like, "See, it worked," you know that it didn't work. Right. But <laughs> True. I, yeah, I, I did like that. Like, and then seeing that it was actually, you know, BC was a cool moment. I, I sorry, just to clarify, I also didn't love the execution of that. I was also just meaning two, twofold. One, I'm just a sucker for that area. So like even the cave and the people they're just saying even, I'm not oh, saying they did yeah. it well, but I just yeah. like that part of history. That's all not the movie. Uh, and then just the actual punch of knocking Harrison Ford out, I thought was kind of a fun twist. To that make was him a great, that was one of my favorite moments. That's the two parter I was saying. Sorry. Okay, I do think that some of the callbacks really did work, though. You know, we talked about some of the stuff that didn't work. Like, I love the callback of the classic travel sequence over the map. Yes. Right, to show that they're moving. I liked seeing Sala. Uh, I thought that was kind of a fun reveal when he Sala first showed up. Sala was great. Yeah. Uh, and I really thought that, like, once we got to that cave at the end— that cave sequence felt very like Last Crusade-ish to me. That's what I yeah. felt like we're kind of like doing Indiana Jones, you know? The puzzle with the Archimedes, the water displacement thing, like that was like, uh -huh. okay, now we're doing Indiana Jones. Well, and even the the creepy crawlies, which I know you don't love generally. I know, I wrote, gotta do the bugs, gotta do the gross <laughs> bug, that's what I did. Um, but then my favorite call out of the whole thing was the meta joke, the meta commentary, the wink at the camera to the Temple Doom. Uh, I'm pretty sure you've never drinking the blood of, what's his name? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was funny. Like, that was good to do that. Like, he was reflecting on all he's been through. That was pretty good. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was in a been meta way. By, you know, like, it was like a wink at the camera. Yeah, exactly. It was like making fun of Temple of Doom. Yeah. Oh, I said that was my favorite, and then probably my last favorite was... One of the most famous scenes ever of Indiana Jones is that swordsman, you know, that's like going, wah, 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 and yeah. then Indiana Jones just shoots him. I kind of like that reverse callback of him pulling out the whip and being like, back off, everyone back off, and then all of them pulling guns. And he's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I thought that was right. kind of fun. You know, that's no, the campiness that, was, yeah. that I like. There were a couple of, and, and just some striking, some striking scenes. Yeah, I would say that that's maybe the one that, that sticks with me the most in a weird way just yeah. because it, it, it does feel, it feels like what I would want an Indiana Jones movie that is supposed to be set, you know, with him at this age, that's how I would want it to feel this kind of, you know, he's, he's, yes, he's cranky, he's gruff, but he's still got that, like the confidence and the daring to kind of take all these guys on, but also that like, like what, one of the things I love so much about the character watching back through all these films. And one thing that I did think that they, they were able to, for the most part, showcase here is like, and this is a big difference between, between a, a hero in this franchise and the heroes in some of the other franchises we've referenced. Like he is, He's super, he's ultimately super well-read and he's kind of hardened and he's experienced, but he's not like crazy jacked. He's not like this guy that can like, he, he doesn't have these insane physical capabilities in any way. He's just scrappy, you know, and he's always able to get out of situations. And I liked seeing that translate in various moments even to an older indie, because we didn't have that many moments uh, of it feeling like that big of a stretch for, like there were some, you know, and there always are in these movies. I liked that it wasn't necessarily this focus of, of how much he could physically withstand. It was again, this like, even this old man, Indiana Jones, he's just seen so much and been through so much that he can still best these younger you know, Nazi hired guns because he's Indiana Jones, but not 
not again because of some kind of added, you know, sci-fi fantasy element power, just the like with his own grit and resolve. And that's, that's cheesy, even me saying it, but I feel like that's one of the things that I need the most from this. And so little moments like that, like the one you're pointing out, I think really stand out to me for showing that really well. A hundred percent. Love that. Is that kind of your lasting screenshot of this movie? Yeah, I think so. That I think image? the other one, you, the other one you also covered, which would be, yeah, the water displacement scene. Uh, and, and the other scene that stuck out for me just to throw it out there was the one where Phoebe Waller-Bridge is, H Helena is explaining the, the meaning of the map and also trying to get Indy to light the dynamite. Hmm. That that whole scene I thought was, so, and I think it's largely because of her performance, but it was so well done that that's one that I'm still kind of thinking about. Yeah, and that she's a total badass. Yeah. But how in the world Mads Mikkelsen's character kept surviving all these things? How in the world would he survive that pull to the head on the train? There is no, that would have decapitated him. Right. Then he survived and that. Then he just survives the dynamite in his boat and the boat doesn't sink. They're just like casually, you know, putting a lifeboat together, like just at their own pace. Come on. It, well, he's invincible. I love, I love too that uh, Harrison Ford, you know, between his flashback scene and now has transformed from a very young man into a very old man. And Mads Mikkelsen looks essentially the same, but with gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, some people, you know, Paul Rudd style, just don't age. Yeah, there you go. I think that that's probably my lasting screenshot as well. I, I want to give one last shout out to a sequence I thought was visually striking, and that's the parade. I thought yeah. the parade scene is another image that could be my screenshot. Not because of what it meant for the character, but just because of the colors of all the confetti falling and, and the horse chase and the way I think they captured the time period with the protests and that parade. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That felt pretty fun and authentic to me. So that's my last shout out there. Yeah. And it was beautiful, I thought. I think we've summed it up. I think we're in the same boat. I really enjoyed it. It's not my favorite movie of the summer. I think at this point, now that we are halfway through our crazy blockbuster-filled summer, for me, I would say Across the Spider-Verse is my favorite movie. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was number two. I think I would go The Flash 3 and then this 4, but I have enjoyed all of them thus far. Yeah. You know, I think I would, I would probably... I'd probably say something similar. I, I, I'm debating... I would, I would probably put this above the Flash just in terms. Yeah, maybe of, me too. Maybe me too. But it, it, it that's hard to say, right? Because I just have really zero connection with that. Yeah, totally. With the Flash character in that universe, and this one, like we've talked about, I do. But yeah, I, I would say you know even with, I was nervous about this one uh, once I saw the reviews coming, and you know, the flash when it comes to DC and just all the controversy around that, you know, I really had no idea what to expect, but I would say that, yeah, at this point I've been, I think that the first two you mentioned were both pretty excellent across the spider verse mm -hmm. is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. Yep. Uh, it's been a Guardians good, yeah, three, it's been a good excellent. movie yeah. summer. Yep. It has. And again, just to reiterate, I think 6.5, 66%, something like that is, is reasonably fair. Again, from the critics' perspective, if you're coming into Indiana Jones' Dial of Destiny hoping to get a Best Picture nominee, then you're not going to get it. And I think if you're an Indiana Jones fan and you're coming in for the camp, the cheesiness, the fun, the nostalgia, then I think you're mostly happy. So I think that explains both scores there. You're right. We're just getting started this summer. Still to come on Screensaver, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Yeah. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer and maybe even a special presentation of Barbie. So still yeah. lots more to come. We're about halfway through excited to look back at the summer that was in a few weeks. And thanks for joining us along the ride. We are so grateful for you guys. We know that anytime you take time and effort out of your day to find this podcast and listen to it, 
it means the world to us. And we know that that's not easy. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And we'll be right back here talking more blockbuster 2023 films here on Screensaver. Dun, 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 dun. Bum-ba-dum, bum-ba-dum, bum-da-dum, dun-da-dum-dum.